We're continuing our series this morning, our Christmas series that we're calling Above All Names. Uh, It's a four-part series. We're in week two this morning, uh, looking at the names of Jesus, which are unique names to Jesus alone. We're looking at the significance of these names, what that means for us today, because there are many different names. Uh, I was just doing a little bit of research this week about the most common names for babies in 2019. Any guesses the most uh, common girl's name in 2019 is a little prize. If you know the most common girl's name in 2019. Ava. Ava? Emma. Emma. Okay, but you're a worship leader and you were in the first service, so you heard this, <laughs> so I'm not giving it to you, okay? Not giving it to you, all right? I heard it over here. What did you say? Who said Emma? Emma. Okay. Is it why do you, why do you know names so well? Is this an announcement of some sort or what? You've been doing some research. Do we have an Emma in the house? Is there an Emma? I was actually going to give this to you, but then I decided against it. And so, watch out below there. Just. Okay, we have an M on that. Okay, anybody know uh, the, the number one boy's name, 2019? Noah. Noah? No. Jack? No. Levi? No. Liam. Liam, number one boy. Is this an announcement about, uh, no. Any Liams in the house? All right. There you go. Anybody know what the name Rusty ranks on the list of most common baby names? <laughs> Anyone? 437? No. 73? Nope. 2036th. 3914th. I didn't even know there were so many names. You could name your baby, but 3,914. I think it's going to come back. It'll get more popular. Uh, But um, I don't know if you've got one of those really weird names. If you know my pain, you go into one of those touristy trinkety shops where you you go to the carousel and you try to find your name on a tag or a magnet or something, and you just hope against hope that maybe this is the time when they have your name. I have never found my name on any one of those tags. I actually decided what I need to do, actually, is to go into a pet store, and um, (laughs) if you go... (laughs) If you go to the dog tag section there... You can find it. So I had Rover Rusty. There it is. So, um, so I was able to find it. It's got the shape of a bone. It says Rusty on it. And um, that's my lot in life. I've talked a little bit, joked about my name. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, when I was a young teenager, maybe 13 years old, uh, which is my daughter's turning 13 tomorrow, my oldest kid. I'm going to have a teenager tomorrow. Pray for me. Pray for me. No, I'm so, I'm so excited about Annika turning 13. She's a great girl. But when I was her age, my name kind of bothered me. Uh, the fact, not, not just that it was a bit of a weird name. I got bullied a little bit for that. But uh, it, it just didn't have a good meaning. My, my other three siblings had a name that had a great meaning. Richard meant brave ruler. That was my brother. My sister, Patera, feminine name, a, a version of Peter, was the rock. And my brother, Caleb. Caleb means devoted to God. You know what Rusty means? Redhead. 
So I, it wasn't even accurate, and, and um, I thought, that's just a lame meaning. So I kind of expressed it to my parents. So I, I remember the day when my parents had a renaming ceremony. <laughs> they actually gave me, my name a different meaning. They got it from the, the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. If you remember, Jeremiah is this young guy, and I was already kind of discerning a call to ministry at that point. And so um, at the beginning of the book uh, Jeremiah, um, they took, they took the, the words appointed by God, which is what uh, God says to Jeremiah, and, and they gave me a new meaning to my name, Rusty. Uh, so that was kind of special. Uh, the Bible, e- even more so in, in biblical times, names were really important. Not, and they didn't pick names because they sounded nice or because they were trendy, but because they had a good meaning. That's what they were looking for. And so as you read through the Bible, both Old and New Testament, you find that uh, a name is a really significant thing. And so we often hear about not just the Lord, but the name of the Lord. And so just a few examples of that, Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He could have said we trust in the Lord. We said, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so you see this time and time again, Proverbs 18.10. The name, not the Lord is a fortified tower. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You even see this in the New Testament, Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus So the names are important for a couple of reasons because a name represents the person. So when we hear about the name of the Lord, what we're supposed to understand is that our hope and our help are not found primarily in like a a certain practice, a certain lifestyle or a certain principle or a certain philosophy. Our hope and our help are found in a person, in a person. And a name represents a person, but a name also reveals Uh, something about that person reveals the nature and the character of a person because our hope and our help is not just found in any person but a very particular kind of person with a a particular character and a particular nature and so a, a name reveals something about who a person is what they do The Christmas story is littered with names. If you were here last week when we began the series, we talked about how there's just names all over the Christmas story, right? Remember when the angel first comes to announce, you know, the the birth of Jesus, you're going to name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the angels come to the shepherds and say, for to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, he is Christ the Lord, and so we see names all over this story to help us understand the significance of this child. Some of those names preceded the birth of Jesus. Back in the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before the birth of Christ, God reveals names to Isaiah, which are recorded in in chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, when, when he writes this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, this child will be called, these four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so what we're doing in this series over these four weeks, uh, next Sunday, and then we're gonna look at the last name on Christmas Eve, is, is we're taking a look at these names that are given to Jesus and what they mean about who he is, what that means for us today. 
So last week, if you missed it, you can find it online. We, we, we took a look at Jesus uh, as wonderful counselor. And essentially, we just a quick recap. Jesus is wonderful not just because he's great, and he is great, but because in the Bible, the word wonderful means beyond comprehension, beyond understanding. And so the big idea last week was that Jesus in his very personhood and Jesus in his plan for, for us and for the world is beyond anything that we could comprehend and imagine. And so we said if Jesus is wonderful counselor, then we don't have to understand everything in order to praise and obey the God who does understand everything. His counsel is perfect. This morning we're going to look at Jesus as mighty God, and I hope by the end we will understand kind of this idea, which is this. Because Jesus is mighty God, by submitting to him, I receive confidence that his power will overcome my problems. This is the big idea. Because Jesus is mighty God, by submitting to him, I receive confidence that his power will overcome all of my problems. I mean, let's just pause for a moment to, to think about how perplexing it must have been for Isaiah to write those words. For unto us a child is born, talking about the future, that a, a, a human being is gonna be born as human beings are, typically, but this child is gonna be called mighty God. Now, even a chapter later in Isaiah 10, he uses that same Hebrew word, El Gabor, mighty God, as a title for God, for the God of Israel, Yahweh. And and yet here, this child, he says, as, as God reveals this to him, this child will be called, among other things, mighty God. I wonder what he thought you know, when he took his coffee break from writing his, and his wife said, how are things going? Like, what are you writing about? <laughs> Just God has given me this insight about a child is gonna be, gonna be born and he's gonna be called these things. He's gonna be called mighty God. Mighty God, what do you think that means? I, I, I don't know. I, have no, I don't think Isaiah could ever comprehend what it is that that meant, what God was showing to him or the other uh, prophets in the Old Testament. Like for instance, Micah chapter five, verse two, something very similar. He writes, but you, Bethlehem, that's uh, the, the town, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel whose origins are, are, are from of old, from ancient times. And so here, here you see this. How do they put that together? In the future, one is gonna be born is gonna come from Bethlehem, but this one that's gonna be born there, he's actually from old, from ancient times. Uh, that ancient of days is just a Hebrew way of saying exceedingly old beyond anything that we can know, almost like prehistoric, way, way back. And I wonder what Micah thought. What does this mean? And they could never have conceived what that meant because in, in the Jewish worldview, like God was up there, God was totally different, totally other, and man was down here, and never the two shall mix. And yet this child is mighty God. Listen to how Luke, in his telling of the birth of Jesus, uh, describes the, the announcement of the birth of Jesus to, um, to these shepherds. We're told in Luke 2, verses 8, that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord, okay, now notice the word Lord here. It'll come up three times. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
as you would be. It continues. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah or Christ, the, say it, the Lord. Now isn't this interesting? We see this word Lord three times. The first time it describes the angel as the angel of the Lord, which means it's an angel that serves, that belongs, is sent by, is a messenger from the Lord which was the word that the Jewish people used for their God, Yahweh. So you have this angel of the Lord and we're told that the glory of the Lord shone around them, enveloped those shepherds, which is why they were so terrified. The majesty of the Lord was present there in an incredible way and the message these angels delivered is that a baby's been born over there, I'm gonna give you directions. He is your savior, he is Christ the Lord. Same word. This child is the one to whom the angels belong and to whom all this glory belongs is this child. Like that's pretty incredible. Luke is, is at, and, and the other disciples came to understand and believe something they couldn't have possibly imagined or fathomed but that God came into the world and he took on flesh and he dwelt among us as John says. That Jesus is, in his very essence, in his very nature, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God, fully man and yet fully God. And so Jesus says some pretty incredible things that, of course, upset, sound very blasphemous to the, to, to the people, to the leaders of his day. Jesus says, I am the way, this is from John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, I am a way, I am a truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. What? Seen the Father? Seen God? Well, that's the, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Philip, don't you know I've been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus uh, uh, would say other things like, well, John says this in his letter, 1 John, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Jesus says in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And they knew what he meant because right after that they want to stone him because they say to him, you are merely a man and yet you claim to be God. I and the Father are one. This is the incredible truth that is first revealed to Isaiah which he could not could not possibly have understood or imagined or conceived of or invented that that God would come and enter into humanity. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus is mighty God. And this is why we send missionaries and we go around the world to tell people about Jesus. And why we, 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 we try to 
with our neighbors and our friends and our families. We want to share the, the good news of Jesus with them because Jesus is not just a prophet who helps us understand God. He is not just one path on the mountain to the summit. Jesus is the mountain itself. Jesus is the summit. Jesus is God. You can't know God without knowing Jesus. You can't love God without loving Jesus. You can't follow God without following Jesus. You can't serve God and obey God without serving and obeying Jesus because Jesus is I and the Father are one. He who denies me denies the Father. He who receives me receives the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You cannot separate the two. They are one. Jesus is God. And I, I guess it would be like saying, I, I, I love my wife, but I'm not really into Erica. Well, that wouldn't make any sense. I love my wife, but I, but I don't love the mother of my three daughters. Well, that wouldn't make any sense, right? Because they're one and the same. And this is what we see Jesus declaring, the disciples believing, and Isaiah 700 years before his birth sharing that God is gonna come into the world as a child, Jesus. And it's really easy to downplay the significance of this, of this baby. Just think of that, okay? Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Now, some of you, you believe that you're, con- I'm con- and there's lots of reasons I'm convinced of that. And that's a whole other sermon or series of sermons, but maybe, maybe you're not convinced of that. But I want to suggest to you that's really the most important question. Because if Jesus is God, then you can't ignore Jesus. Right? And, and I think that's one of the reasons that we, we, when I say we, I mean like kind of our world, our society, we still really love Christmas and embrace Christmas. And I'm going to go to my kids pageant and they're, they're, they're going to still sing some of these songs about this baby being born silent night away in a manger and you're going to go to the mall and you're still going to hear these songs playing in the stores and you might even see like a little nativity set somewhere out there kind of in public view I mean I, you, you probably won't see like an empty tomb and a cross and, and resurrection songs necessarily played in, in the malls but at Christmas yeah we can kind of do that right because everybody loves a baby right I mean, who doesn't love a baby? Oh, hey, little guy. How are you? How, what's his name? Jesus? Hey, little Jesus. You said you're cute little goog. I mean, a child is harmless. Right? A child uh, commands nothing. A baby commands nothing of you. A baby demands nothing of you. Unless you have one and then you know it demands everything from you. (laughs) All of your sleep and all of your time and all of your energy. I was going to say something I thought I shouldn't say. Better not said. 
But you know what I mean when I say a baby doesn't demand, like it has no power to compel you. It has no power over you. It has no authority. It's just a baby, right? And so when Jesus is born, all these people, hey, what, what a cute little baby. There's a little baby next door that was just born. No controversy, no stir, no scandal, right? Who doesn't love a baby? A baby is non-threatening. But there was one person in the Christmas story who was threatened by this baby. Maybe you know the story, right? See, these wise men come from the east because they've seen this star and they believe that that fulfills a prophecy about a king being born and so they follow the star and it leads them uh, into Israel and they go and they, they visit the king, Herod, King Herod, and he says, what are you doing here? And they say, we've come to follow this star to find this, this, this king of the Jews that has been born. That's what this means, king of the Jews. And it tells us that Herod was troubled. Why was Herod troubled? Well, because he was king. And the thing about kings is there can only be one. I mean, friends, you can have more than one. No kids, neighbors, but a king, by very definition, You can only have one. And so the king, Herod, is quite troubled about this because he's king. And so he goes and he sends his minions out to try to hunt down this baby who everyone else thinks is completely insignificant to kill this baby before this baby can grow to become king because God had given him some insight into the nature, the significance of this child. Jesus is king, and not just any king, Jesus is God. In fact, Jesus' first coming is, is, is one of humility, right, lowliness, but as the Bible tells us, Jesus will come again, and when Jesus returns, he's gonna come with all of his power and all of his authority to establish his kingdom forever and to make all things right and to pronounce his righteous judgment over all And it says that when he comes, his name will be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will be ruler over all, and all will have to surrender to submit to him because he is king, and there's only room for one king. So that's the thing about a king. You can either recognize their rule and bow and submit and receive their kingship, their power and authority over you, or you have to overthrow like Herod did. But those are the only two choices. You can't be apathetic. You can't do nothing. You can't just kind of move on with your life. Jesus is the coming into the world of God himself. King over all. God gave a little bit of that insight to to Simeon too. Hey, remember in in Luke chapter two when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated as which uh, was the Jewish custom? Simeon, this old priest, holds this baby Jesus and God gives him insight into the identity of this baby boy and what he will do. And it says in Luke chapter two, Simeon declares that his eyes now in seeing Jesus have seen God's salvation, which he has prepared for all nations. And then Simeon turns to Uh, Mary and Joseph and he says to them he says this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed this Jesus reveals the hearts of all whether they will receive God 
or whether they will reject God, whether they will submit to the king or whether they will cling to their own throne and their own crown and be their own king and Lord. But, but I think what Simeon is saying is that you know, in, when, when G, with Jesus coming into the world as mighty God, he is the fork in the road which we all have to confront. There's only one of two directions here. God has revealed himself to the world. What will we do with him? Will we receive him and his, his, as Lord and God in our life and, and submit to his rule in our lives? Will we receive his salvation or will we resist Will we reject? All have to make a decision. Jesus' message over and over again was really clear. One thing. It's not a list of 10 things to try to do what God wants, you know, 10 commandments over here and a different list of things over there and everyone trying to find their own path. No, God has made it clear for all now. There's now one question and one decision to make. So over and over, Jesus again says the, the, that that. When asked, what is the work that God requires? The work that God requires is this, to believe in the one he has sent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The one question is, will we believe and receive or will we not? If Jesus is God, that demands a response. We cannot dabble we have to confront that. So, so God kind of forces the, the issue at Christmas for us he, as he reveals himself. God has visited us. He's made himself known. He's dealt with the guilt of our sin on the cross and the power of death in his resurrection. And he's made a way to life and restored relationship with God. And we have a decision, one decision to make. What will we do with Jesus? Kind of that DTR, define the relationship talk, Right? What is my relationship with Jesus? Is Jesus God? Is he Lord? Is he king? Is he God of my life? So who is Jesus to you? The one thing we can't do is just keep him as a baby. The world would just love to keep Jesus as a little baby because it's harmless and it's non-threatening. But this child, Isaiah says, is mighty, mighty God. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. God's revelation of himself and his way to the world so who is Jesus to you? If Jesus is mighty God, then, then our first response needs to be to surrender our lives to his rule, to his lordship, to repent of our way and our sin and to trust in him and what he has done on our behalf and in, invite him into our life and, and crown him king of our, life, our lives. If Jesus is mighty God, Um, but, but not because we should, but because it's good. God's rule is so good. It is good that God is with us. You know, I tell my wife that marrying her was the second best decision I ever made. Do you know what the first was? Well, yeah, there's Jesus too. I forgot about that one, but no. I say Mary was the second best decision I ever made. First best decision, 
putting my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Hands down, best decision I've ever made, you could ever make, because Jesus, he's God, yes, and therefore has power and has, has authority that I need to submit to, but, he's, but, but Jesus isn't just God, he's mighty God, Isaiah says. Now you might think that's a little redundant, mighty God, like is there any other kind? Kind of like unhealthy pizza pops? Is there any other kind? Right. I keep trying to tell my wife, there's all the food groups in there. There's, like, there's bread and there's meat and there's tomato sauce. And she's like, it's pretty much everything. And um, she doesn't like it when I buy those pizza pops. They're not good for you, apparently. Jesus is mighty God. You know, in biblical times, there, there were different versions of gods that people believed in. And hierarchies of gods that had differing abilities. And it was kind of like, you know, that whole schoolyard taunt, my God's bigger than your God, my dad's stronger than your dad. What Isaiah is saying is Jesus, this child who is born, he's God, but he's mighty God. That word, Gabor, mighty, always describes an overcoming victorious power. You know, that confronts a problem or a foe and overcomes the power to win the battle. That's, that, that's might. And so in reference to God, in the Bible, th- this word mighty um, is often used with, with God's hand or his arm. So it's 10 different times you see this. God brought you out by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 10 different times we see this. Mighty hand. So, so the picture of mighty God Jesus is not this, arms folded, unwilling, uninterested in us, our lives and our problems. The picture Isaiah gives us of Jesus as God is mighty God, one with his arms out, with his hands on our shoulders, holding us. Or maybe us in his hands, holding us, clinging to us. This is the picture. Outstretched arm with a mighty hand at the end. It speaks of the power of Jesus that he uses in our lives. Um, That he is actively involved to help us in our problems. You know, there's a a famous baseball poem. You ever heard of Mighty Casey? You know Mighty Casey? Bottom of the ninth inning, he was the the best baseball player, all-star Mighty Casey. Bottom of the ninth inning, down by two runs, two out. The two people before him get on base, even though they weren't very good hitters. And now Mighty Casey steps up to the plate, right? One swing of the bat, he's going to win this game. And he's so confident in himself, he just lets the first two pitches go right down the strike zone. (laughs) Because the third one, he's just going to hit it out. And what does he do? Strike three. Mighty Casey has fallen. And sometimes we wonder, you know, in, 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 in the storms of our life, in the battles we face, I mean, God, yes, God is, Jesus is mighty, but how mighty? Like, even the mighty strike out sometimes, right? What does it mean for Jesus to be mighty in power as we face, you know, our storms and battles? You know, I was reading um, 
Robert Louis Stevenson, the author, was, was talking about uh, these passengers who were on a ship in a really bad storm and, and the ship was in imminent danger of sinking. And the passengers, they were, they were very afraid and whispering to one another, are we going down? Are we safe? What's happening? So one of the passengers says, I, I've just got to find out. And so he made his way up to the top side of the heaving decks to the pilot house where the pilot of the ship had his hand firmly on the wheel and the pilot turned and he saw the fear in the passenger's face and he just smiled at him and didn't say a word. On arriving below the deck again, that once fearful passenger exclaimed, we're gonna be all right. I've seen the face of the pilot and he smiled at me. He's not afraid. He's not worried. He's got this under control. I guess I don't have to worry either because we're safe. That's a picture of Jesus as mighty God. Did you know that that, that, that to Jesus nothing is impossible? Like the one who created the world, the universe, by his word, did you know to that God odds mean nothing? One in 10? One in 100? One in a million? What are odds to me? With man, this is possible, Jesus says, but with God, nothing is impossible. There's no situation that we face with which our Lord Jesus gets worried or afraid or feels daunted. In everything, our Lord smiles. He has it under control. He is mighty to meet our need. So, so we need to fix our eyes not on the size of our problem, but we need to fix our eyes on all the things we face in life. If Jesus is mighty God, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus' power, his overcoming victorious power, which is greater than any other power. Nothing daunts Jesus if God is for us, who can be against us? That's my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, if God is for you, who can actually come against you? If God is for you, what can happen to you that could destroy you, that could overcome you? Nothing. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with giving us his son graciously give us everything we need? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not naked or danger or famine or sword or persecution. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. Which is to say, listen, you're gonna go through storms It's gonna be rocky, there's gonna be problems, but don't worry. Your your Jesus is mighty God. He will carry you safely through any and every storm. He will help you overcome in every battle if you will trust in him and his power. I mean, think of how the Christmas story begins. I mean, Christmas Eve, I'm gonna sit down with my kids around the tree after the second Christmas Eve service. 
They're gonna be out in the foyer yanking at my arm. I remember being the pastor's kid, Dad, let's go home. There's presents. And so I do what my dad always did. I read the Christmas story first because it's about Jesus, kids, not Santa Claus. So I make him wait. And I read the story agonizingly slow. But how does it begin? It always begins with the same words. Luke chapter two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Okay, that's the way it starts. Is that just a historical footnote? Oh, let's hold on there. There's something incredible in those words. You know what? Who was Caesar Augustus? You don't need to know history. You heard of the guy. He was the most powerful human being on the face of the earth. He commanded the Roman army. He ruled the world. Caesar Augustus. God could have had so many ways to get pregnant Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Jesus needed to be born in Bethlehem. That was his word. That was his prophecy. He could have done that. They could have had a family reunion. Could have had a death in the family. There are a whole bunch of reasons that they had to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But what does God choose? He takes the most powerful man in the world and puts him in the palm of his hand and he uses him. He puts an idea in his mind, in his heart to have the census of the entire world. Why? Just to get Mary and Joseph and Jesus to Bethlehem. You know what we're supposed to see there? Caesar has got nothing. God is so much mightier than any other power, any problem, and he's using that power for our good. If Jesus is mighty God, that gives us the confidence and the courage we need to fight our battles, not to retreat, to fight them not with fear but with faith because we're not strong in ourselves but we trust in the strength of Jesus. That's been cool. I've seen, I've seen guys doing that. Like we just had this Conquer series where I think there were like at least 20 guys in our church that were all for one reason or another kind of pursuing sexual purity and they came to this, they came to this group through the month of, of November and maybe some of them dealing with you know, some, some sinful habits or strongholds that go back years, maybe decades and man, just to hear about how when people kind of confront their battles with faith, how God in his power overcomes and works victory, and it's been so cool to hear how God has been doing that as people have confidence in God to confront their fear and face their battle. Jesus is mighty God So we can have courage, we can have confidence in the face of any storm, any problem. He gives us rest from all of our anxieties. There's a verse that I claim a lot. Um, Psalm 127, little chapter says, in vain, God says, in vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But God gives sleep to those he loves. On those on whom his favor rests, those who have received and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, on them he grants rest sleep. Why? Because God will provide. God will take care. God will use his power to see you through 
And I think that's why Jesus, remember that story, that, that storm on the Sea of Galilee? And everyone's freaking out. We're gonna die. I mean, I mean these were fishermen. These were guys that knew a storm. It wouldn't take much for me. Whoa, 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 whoa. I want off. These were professional fishermen. And they thought they were gonna die that night because the storm was so bad. And where's Jesus? Now, you could read that going uh, almost like God, like God he's, not, he's not there, he's not active, he's not involved. Wake up, Jesus, we need. You know what's happening there? Jesus saying, I am so in control over this whole situation. I'm asleep. I'm resting. And he wake, wakes up, guys, you have little faith. You have li-. And he stands up and he raises his hand and he stills the storm, the wind, and the waves. Jesus is mighty God. That's the good news of Christmas. The angels say, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. Now put your name in there. What do you need to be saved from? Like the angels were talking to the shepherds. Like shepherds. I mean, they were the lowest of the low. I mean, they had problems. They were sinners. They were the riffraff. And the angels come and say, for you, today has been born a savior. So I'm gonna save you from all of your problems, from the power and the guilt of your sin, and from the power of death, and from all the problems you can face today, a savior has been born for you. And that's the good news of Christmas. For you, put your name in there. At Christmas, a savior has been born for you to save you through all of your sin and from death and all the storms and problems and battles that you could face. So that's the big idea. Jesus is mighty God. So by submitting to him, I think that's just the key. That's just the key. By submitting to him. We, we have a choice to make. Maybe if you some of you this morning, you need to make a choice to, sub, to start submitting to Jesus. You know, like maybe you've dabbled with Jesus, but, but maybe you've never actually bowed your knee and said, I will, I'm not gonna trust in myself, in my wisdom, in my way, in my goodness, I give my life to you, Jesus, as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. Forgive my sins and come into my life and have your way in my life. Maybe that's something that you need to do this morning, to submit to Jesus. And when we submit to him, he becomes mighty God in our lives. He gives us that confidence and that courage that we need um, to face all of our problems. So here's the the questions for you to ponder. Do you you need to submit to Jesus as Lord in your life? And for those of you who who have, is, is there a storm you're facing right now in which you need to trust the power of Jesus as mighty God? Something that you just feel is, is too big for you, right? I don't know if you ever remember standing at the base of, of the CN Tower and looking up and getting dizzy and almost falling over because it was so big. It, was, it actually made me afraid it was so big. That's why I like Manitoba. No mountains. I'm a bunny hill skier, okay? 
It doesn't take much for me to get afraid. I don't know about you. But we can be daunted by the size of problems, but God looks down, Jesus looks down as mighty God, and he goes, it's nothing. His power is so much greater, and in his love, when we submit to him, he uses his power in our lives to overcome, to bring us through storms. We just have to trust in him. Not shrink back in fear, but press on in faith. Stand firm. So is there a storm in your life that you're facing? Maybe this morning you just need to, you just need to say, God, I, I entrust the situation to you. I just, Jesus, you are mighty God. Be mighty God in this situation. Just give me the confidence to face that. Um, I trust in you. Um, we're gonna close our service in a minute here with a song, which gives us an opportunity to just do that, to declare that God's name is mighty. His name is a strong tower. And as we sing that song, I just want you to think about whatever situation in your life is hard, whatever battle you're facing. And as you sing it, um, just in your spirit, uh, declare, declare, God, your name is higher and mightier than any of my problems. I trust in you. You will overcome. So I'm gonna invite the team up to lead us in that song. Let me pray. Would you bow with me? Father God, we thank you that in your love for us, you sent your son into the world. God became flesh. He took on our brokenness, and he went to that cross and paid for our sin, and he rose from the dead, and he overcame the power of death, and he has become for us a way to know you, a way to have a life that nothing can take from us. So we thank you, God, that in Jesus, who is our mighty God, we are so safe. In all of the storms of battles of life, we are safe that you will carry us through. You will overcome. And Lord, just give us the confidence that we need, Father, just to stand firm in those situations, Lord, as we declare that Jesus is mighty God. In his name we pray and together we say, Amen.